Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon. Calvary meets in the Joppa Falston area between Baltimore and Bel Air, and our pastor is Josh Plantholt. Come join us on a Sunday. Our service info is at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching. So last week was the call, this week is the calling, what we're called to do. So with that, I'd like to turn your attention this morning to the fourth chapter of the Gospel according to St. Matthew. (laughs) Matthew 4. Uh, Monday night, we had our our, our, uh, Bible study in Bel Air. While you turn there, I'll just give you a little story. And before the teaching started, we ended up just chit-chatting about church history, and that was a half-hour conversation. And then I got so fired up that when the teaching started, it was was an hour and ten minutes. And I'm like, we got to stop. We're running too late. So uh, if if you want more information on on this chapter, that's probably a good place. Just hear me go off on all sorts of tangents. Um, Not that you want to listen to me anymore, but there we are. Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 12. Uh, Let's get moving here. Now when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He there is Jesus. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. And uh, for those of us, those of you that went with us to Israel, it was beautiful there. Um, Beautiful, beautiful. In the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So what was uh, spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Uh, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And here's this great verse in, in, in verse 16. Uh, Handel's and his Messiah covered this verse and it's wonderful. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has drawn. We don't have time, but hopefully you're seeing some Psalm 23, valleys of shadows of death, woven in there. So, Jesus has moved from the Judean wilderness, which is just down the way, a few miles from the area of the temple in southern Israel. And Jesus has left the area of the temple to move to uh, northern Israel and set up a home base for his ministry in Capernaum, which fulfills a prophecy in Isaiah 9. So Jesus is now in northern, uh, northern Israel. He started his ministry, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent. Already, isn't Jesus very different from most of the preachers we hear today? (laughs) Repent. Whoa, 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 Jesus. That's a bit intense, you Bible thumper. Well, (laughs) Jesus saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So there's a very good, um, does the church want to fit in with the culture or be more like Jesus? Because, you know, we we can see that there. Uh, So, There's a saying, God had one son, and he made him a preacher. And the first thing Jesus does in his ministry, as Matthew records it, is to preach. Now, what does Jesus preach? He preaches two things, repentance and the kingdom of heaven. First, Jesus preaches repentance, a need to turn from something to something. Uh, to turn from the status quo, from sin, from, I believe, earthly politics and tribalism, and to God. And the second thing Jesus preaches about, because it tells us what the people are to turn to, 
the kingdom of heaven. The good news of Jesus Christ, we have to understand this, is a kingdom message. The message of Jesus Christ is a kingdom message. And, and, and thinking about this, what makes up a kingdom? Well, first of all, Donnie just sang it, and we all sang it over and over and over again. A kingdom has a king. <laughs> and what does a king do? He has a set of laws and a land and a people. What we have to understand about the kingdom of heaven, uh, the kingdom of God, is that it's political in its very nature. Jesus is calling people out of one party, out of one system, out of one kingdom, one leader, and calling them into another. And here's something to chew on. Because we as the church can miss this, but Jesus' enemies did not miss this at all. When King Herod... When he heard that the Messiah was to be born, remember he goes, tell me about this. He's going to be king of kings and lord of lords. What's he do? He's got to die. Why? Because he knew Jesus was a political threat. Satan's enemy, or God's enemies are full aware. And so Herod declared that all the children under three years old needed to be brutally murdered in Bethlehem. So Jesus from the opening chapters in Matthew Remember it says that the kings of the east came and they bowed before him and gave him gifts. Immediately Jesus is political. The babe in a manger. The kings are coming under his authority, coming under his rule. And then Herod, the enemies of the kingdom, are trying to kill the child. They're making war with the kingdom of God. And so from the opening chapters in Matthew, Jesus has been a disruption to all earthly politics. And now, who was Jesus' forerunner in the gospel? It was John. What was John killed for? Opposing the local governmental leaders. Not by saying, you need to be Republican and vote for Bill. No, he called sin, sin. Which, surprise, surprise, is political. And here comes Jesus in Matthew 4. And he's preaching on the kingdom. He's preaching on a king. He's preaching on repentance from old paths, from old parties. And Jesus is not calling people to side with the Pharisees. Or to side with the Essenes. Or to side with the Romans. But with the kingdom of heaven. Is this not a good word for us? We, we, America 2022 is probably the most politicized this country has been since 1776. We are so political in every fact, everything that we say, do, where we go. I, uh, we, I, I took my kids to a pumpkin patch yesterday and they had Ukrainian uh, political paintings on the wall. I'm just trying to pick out a pumpkin, whether I think Ukraine or not, but everything we do yeah. is laced with this hyper-politicization of, of everything. And I, I believe the church needs to carry on Jesus' message here. And it's not that it's wrong to affiliate with, uh, uh, to, to vote uh, according to an earthly party or to vote against certain things that God calls evil. But as believers, this world is not our home. We don't stand in heaven. When, when it, remember it said the 144,000, what did they have written on their foreheads? The name of God. None of us get into heaven with an R stamped on our head. Why are you in heaven? Because I'm a Republican. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> I love the story of Joshua 5. 
Remember Joshua staring at Jericho. How am I going to beat this city? And then verse 13, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And this seems to be the pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? Because otherwise we're going to have a fight. And he said, I love this, no. He doesn't answer either way. But I am the commander of the Lord of uh, the. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Uh, again, there's nothing wrong with voting and earthly politics. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we chiefly, above all else, need to campaign in advance and spread the word for the kingdom of heaven. Now, one of the things that we're, we're going to see as we get uh, to the to the end of this chapter is immediately people from all over the Middle East start rallying around him. We have people, we have Galileans, we have Judeans, we have people from Jerusalem, we, we have the Syrians, we, people from all walks of life are going to heed the call and come under a new party, the kingdom of heaven party. <laughs> and the lives of these people, as we see throughout the gospel and as we see in the book of Acts, and as we see throughout church history, these people's lives are no longer about being Republican or, or Democrat or being part of the Roman party or the Jewish party. They, they turned from those old lives and gave themselves fully to a new political head. And that is Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Jesus became their focus. Jesus became their moral compass. Christ became the leader with which they rallied under his banner. All of Christ for all of life. And, and, and we need to do the same. Jesus over everything. Heaven's party over earth's party is what's happening here. And slowly the kingdom starts building and all these people from all these different walks of life and all these political affiliations, they rally under Jesus Christ. And if you see the people who once lived in great darkness have now seen a great light, that's from Isaiah 9.1.2. But if you read just a few verses earlier, it says that the people burned their war boots when the light came. All these people in this hyper-politicized culture in first century Galilee all of that didn't matter anymore because that wasn't their life anymore. It was Christ. It was Christ in the kingdom of heaven. Now, verse 18. <clears throat> and Josh had a coffee. <laughs> it doesn't, that's in my translation. Um, <laughs> While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. I do not know why Andrew and Peter are casting nets and John and James are mending nets. Uh, if someone has a good reason why there's a difference there, I really want to know, but I can't figure it out. But either way, they're doing two different things, but in the same realm. Anyways, I'm super cute. 
curious, if God gives it to you, let me know. Uh, and he called them. Verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Very clearly, in the Bible, do we not see times where we need to be still? Those times are typically so much harder than the exertion phases. <laughs> there are times where God places us in seasons to where we're going, 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 and then something happens and we're just brought to a crawl before him. Didn't God do this to Moses and Midian? For 40 years, he's in the school of, I think it was Ra, that we got a great university, and then he, he becomes one of the leaders in Egypt, and he's great and brilliant, and he's, he's managing the, the overseeing of the building of the, of the pyramids and all these things, and then he kills a guy, and he has to flee into the wilderness, and 40 years, he watches sheep. He doesn't even own them. <laughs> They're his father-in-law's sheep. What about David and Engedi? He's a giant slayer. He, he's a general. He, he's the chief musician of Jerusalem. Uh, he, he's doing all of these things. And then God says, hey, you've got to hide in some caves for a few years. And then Elijah. Remember, Elijah calls out against Jezebel and Ahab. And God says, I want you to go to the brook of Kareth. And so for three years, he sits by a brook in a drought. Which, what do you think happens to a brook in a drought? It becomes a mud pit. For three years at a mud pit. Then we see the 120 in the upper room in the book of Acts. It says they waited for 10 days. Jesus ascends into heaven on a cloud. The Holy Spirit's coming. The Holy Spirit's coming. Okay, we're ready for him. You imagine day nine in that 120 people in a room? Oh, without deodorant, no less. You know, this is something else in the Middle East. <laughs> And they have to wait. So there are seasons of being still and prayerful and recovery. But there are also times, like in today's passage, where we need to move quickly. It says they drop their stuff, eutheos, immediately and followed him. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gifts. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. So there comes Seasons and times in our lives to where waiting then becomes highly inappropriate. So there are times where we need to be patient and wait. And times where we must drop literally what's in our hands and go. And move and act and don't wait. Because it's the right thing to do. And this is where the Holy Spirit is so important in the life of the believer. Because he will guide and instruct us. But do not think that that's going to happen apart from the word of God. We must be in the word and God will guide. So, Jesus has his four inner disciples and now verse 23. <clears throat> and when he went... 
throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and hearing ev healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Is that every or is that every? Well, it's every. <laughs> he healed anything. There was nothing that came to Jesus and he goes, oh, I, can't, I can't fix that wart. You know, there's nothing he could not fix. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick. Oh, can you imagine? I think the Chosen got that right in season two. I don't know if anyone saw that. There was one episode where there were just lines of people coming to get healed. It was like a, it was like a Chick Fil A drive through it at <laughs> Friday at six. You know, like I gotta wait six hours. Okay, I want some chicken. You know, but there's just all the sick are coming to Jesus. And I'm sure he didn't Benny Hinnom and heal 50 people at once. You know, he probably actually did something. So, you know, he, he healed all these people. Those afflicted with various diseases and pains. You imagine one guy comes to Jesus, he's got a nub for an arm. Another guy's got a toenail and God, you got to help. You know, but all pains, no matter how minuscule, Jesus cared. How sweet is that? And those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paraplytics, and he healed them. What a little picture of us when we step into glory, huh? I can't wait for him to just touch my back and whoop. Oh, that felt good. <laughs> And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. <clears throat> um, I just caught this for the first time. There's five places listed. Five typically being a, a power number. It's a man's fist, five fingers, and he's strengthening his kingdom. I just caught that for the first time. So here we're all on a journey together. Uh, that's today's text. A few thoughts. First, Jesus' ministry is one of the kingdom. Jesus twice in these short few verses is said to have shared the message of the kingdom of heaven. Especially as we look at Jesus' ministry in light of what happened earlier in chapter 4, which we saw Jesus' face off with Satan in the wilderness, it becomes very clear that there are not just political but military themes present. Themes of two kingdoms at odds, and now one is on the advance. I want you to think about it. There is an enemy to fight. Earlier in chapter 4, what did Satan say? Bow to me and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world and all their ages. Why could Satan offer them up? Because he had possession of them. Jesus didn't say he was a liar. So we see the introduction of the enemy kingdom in the opening verses of chapter 4. And then we see Jesus, he, he, he passes the temptations that Israel failed in the wilderness. And Jesus sets up a home base in Capernaum. And he starts speaking of an opposite kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And then, like every king who was about to set out to fight against a hostile force, he first gathers an army for battle. Well, Jesus first gathers the four leaders and the apostles. And then next, great crowds follow him. 
Then if we kept reading in the Matthew 5 and the very next verse, it says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, but, and when he sat down, the disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus then instructs them as to what his kingdom and his people act like. The Sermon on the Mount is a type of kingdom boot camp. He's training them, giving them a crash course in kingdom living. So the Gospel of Matthew, it opens in the opening verses of Jesus, the Christ, the son of David. He opens up as the, as the heir apparent to David's throne. And then immediately he's born and the kings of the east, the wise men, bowed to Jesus and he's introduced as the king of kings. And now here we are in Matthew 4 and he speaks of a kingdom and as, as he builds a kingdom and now this kingdom is on the move. The light is rising over Galilee and it is overcoming the darkness. And then Jesus' earthly ministry ends in Matthew 28 with verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus' ministry begins with a kingdom growing in numbers and ends with a kingdom that is to march and convert. Paschoth ethnos to all nations. And here's what I'm getting at. In Revelation 7, 9, what did we see? Heaven is going to be filled with a great multitude that no one could number. From what? Every nation. From all tribes and peoples and languages. We are to take the nations. Or what God says in Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Is there any part of the sea that's not covered by the waters? <laughs> no. They become islands at that point. The sea is covered. Jesus brought a heavenly kingdom down to earth with him. And through the power of his Holy Spirit, we are to continue what Jesus started and advance the kingdom of heaven. We are to march upon the nations and baptize and teach and speak of another kingdom, of a greater kingdom, of another leader, a greater leader. Us believers are to do what Jesus is doing here in Matthew 4, and that is to go and to preach the nations into a new political party. Are you Republican or Democrat, Josh? No. <laughs> I am with the Lord of heaven. And we're to baptize them into a new people in Jesus' name. Loved ones, if we have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, then we are in the kingdom of heaven. And if we are in the kingdom of heaven, then we have been sent by a king as a kingdom to dismantle other kingdoms, specifically the kingdom of darkness. And who runs the kingdom of darkness? Satan. We are to dismantle the kingdom of Satan as the kingdom of heaven. That is your job, according to God. <laughs> now, secondly, fishing. Let's talk about fishing, will we? Will we? I'm a horrible fisherman. I am terrible. You think I'd be really good just sitting there, you know, just no, can't do it. Uh, 
But you may be thinking, if all of this is about military language, why is Jesus' command, why, why is the command from Jesus here specifically to fish? You know, Jesus doesn't tell the apostles, put down your nets and pick up swords, right? So, so how does this work? Because last time I checked, fishing isn't too violent except, you know, for the fish. But verse 19 says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Isn't that a great verse? You know, you don't hear this taught much, but this idea, this analogy of fishing for men is not a new idea in the canon of Scripture. Did you know that's in other places in the Old Testament? You don't hear that much, but it is. And Jesus is building upon these themes. Uh, we see it in Amos 4.2. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that, behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. Oof. Here's a fishing for men in the Old Testament that's a little bit violent. And it's about fishing people into exile, into slavery. Jeremiah 16, 16. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterwards I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rocks. In the Old Testament, fishing for men is a picture of invasion and captivity. God is using this terminology in the Old Testament to describe Israel's enemies uh, coming to hunt for Israel and removing them from their dwellings. Now, understandably, most people read this in Amos and Jeremiah and think this has nothing to do with what Jesus is saying. He must mean this in a different way. But that's not entirely true. In a way, he does mean it in this way. In today's passage, Jesus is gathering his troops, his people, and is sending them first into Israel and then later to the ends of the world to fish people out of the world of men. Jesus and his people, those within the kingdom of heaven, are to fish people out of the world and into the kingdom of God. Matthew records Jesus saying in Matthew or in chapter 13, verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus, the four, next the twelve, and all these people are going to go fishing and hunting for people. But the difference is, instead of fishing for people and bringing them into exile and into bondage, God's people are to go fishing for men to fish them into heaven. To fish men and women into eternal life. To fish men and women out of Satan's kingdom. If we're, if we're exiling anybody, it's out of Egypt. It's out of bondage, out of slavery, out of evil. Again, all signs here, even from James and John leaving their father, are like young men heading off to war, isn't it? All signs point to what the kingdom of heaven does. As an army, it advances into enemy territory. 
and fishes men out of Satan's dominion. What does this look like? Right? For some of you that didn't know, I, I worked at a rehab for a while. Uh, I wasn't a participant. I didn't stay there. I wasn't a resident. Uh, but I, I, I worked there. I was a spiritual mentor. And you would deal with, with young men who started using drugs at six. Heroin at eight. And a lot of times when people start using heavy drugs that young, they almost are stuck at that mental yeah. state when they started. And here I am, I'm explaining how much God loves these 25-year-old, 8-year-olds <laughs> in some places. I mean, you know, I mean, some of them are very intelligent, of course, but um, I was fishing. I was trying to pull them out of Satan's kingdom. This is what this looks like. You know, we, we could hear these kind of teachings and think, well, this sounds a bit intrusive. You dang right it's intrusive. I don't want people strung out in a gutter somewhere. You're, yeah, I'm going to fish him out if I can with every exertion in my being. And our kids, the amount of filth they see every day on the internet. <laughs> if I bar my children from that, you're dang right that's intrusive. Because I care. The fish feel themselves being fish, but that's not always a bad thing. In Matthew 16, we read, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to him, of them, But who do you say that I am? I love that. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, sign of Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Notice there's the kingdom of heaven themes. But I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Do you see that the church has been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven? We are to advance what Jesus has started. Plain as day, the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom at war with the kingdom of darkness in question. What does Jesus say will not prevail against the church? The gate, the, 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 the what? I just said it accidentally. The gates. Question, are gates offensive or defensive? When's the last time you were attacked by a gate? Unless you were drunk or something, right? But <laughs> when's the last time you were attacked by a gate? Probably never. Don't we act like gates are offensive in our present culture? We're not on the run. Satan is. We're not, the church isn't besieged. God sits in heaven and laughs, it says in, in Psalm 2. The gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Jesus is instructing his people to storm, to siege, to attack the enemy. To take their land from them. 
Like an army, God's people are to advance upon the enemy and not with swords. I'm not talking about the Crusades, of course not. It took a thousand years of bad doctrine to get to the Crusades from Christ. It took a thousand years to pervert the Bible that badly. <laughs> we are to go and die for our enemies and to pull them out of such debauchery and sin and and the things that are killing them, to kill the sins that are killing people, and to bring them the good news of Jesus Christ, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and if you believe, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. This is, this, these are the weapons of our warfare. Love. Love. Now, our third point here, effectiveness. Jesus wants us to share the word and advance the kingdom, to move in his authority, to call people into a new political party, into the kingdom of heaven. But what if we don't seem to be any good at it? You ever, th- you ever hear sermons like this? You need to go share the word. And you're like, I'm just going to get sweaty and get clammy and weird about it. <laughs> it's really easy to be discouraged. Because, you know, sometimes you'd be like, hey, you know, you want to talk about the Bible? Nah, I'm good. And it's like, oh boy, well, there goes my one shot, you know. You know, someone can shoot you down and, and you, can, you can really be discouraged. And sometimes you'll notice you'll, you'll just try to love somebody and they know you're a Christian and they, they know where that love is coming from and yet there doesn't seem to be any fruit. And you just go, well, this doesn't work. Well, on this vein, Jesus tells a story called the parable of the sower. In Matthew 13. And he speaks about, verse 19, sharing the word of the kingdom, teaching the word of God, like how a farmer would throw seed for the harvest. And I'm going to read it. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. If I was a farmer, this would be my story. And they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant. Still other seeds fell on good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Here. Thinking of Matthew 4, similarly, Jesus tells Simon and Andrew to be fishers of men. Now, contextually, to fish with nets in the first century, the fishermen, if you've ever seen it, they'd have a net with like some stones on it, and they'd, they'd throw the net, and it would go, and it would sink down, and you'd wait a minute, and then pull it up, and you'd hope fish were in there. <laughs> and if you think about it, it's a somewhat similar process as the sower. You aim your seed for good soil and you throw your nets where you hope fish will be. But ultimately, sometimes you catch, sometimes you yield, and sometimes you don't. Now, Matthew doesn't give us this detail, but this scene of Peter and Andrew's calling is described in further detail in Luke chapter 5. 
Uh, on one occasion, uh, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the lake of Galilee, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Uh, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and lay down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master. So Jesus, the rabbi, is going to tell the experienced fishermen how to catch fish. Ha, huh, yeah, sure. Rabbi, we toiled all night and took nothing. <laughs> but at your word, we will let down the nets. Okay, you should stick to preaching, Jesus, and I'll stick to fishing, but fine. So he throws the net over. And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in from the other boat to come and help him. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Here's what we need to understand about fishing and sowing and sharing the word. Like Peter, we can't catch any fish by ourselves. <laughs> you feel like you're not reaching people? It's not your job. You feel like you're not being fruitful enough? That's not your job. We can't catch any fish by ourselves. But if God draws the fish, there will be too many to count. Boats will be breaking. This building will be bursting at the seams. And the way Jesus tells these parables about building the church and sharing the word of God and advancing the kingdom and fishing for men, Jesus gives us these parables in a way that remind us that sometimes you're going to catch fish and sometimes those nets are going to be empty. That sometimes we are to teach and share the word with people and sometimes that seed is going to produce harvest and sometimes the birds are going to eat up all the seed and there's nothing. And here's what we need to gather. Every single one of us, as we connect all these things, are to bring the gospel of the kingdom of heaven to the ends of the earth. Jesus told us, Matthew 28, go. You are not exempt from that. Go. We are, every single one of us are told to bring the gospel, to share and scatter the word, to throw our nets, to advance the kingdom of heaven in the dark places, to be fishers of men, to rescue the perishing. But we're also to remember that salvation belongs to the Lord. And why this is such good news is because your job as fishermen is not to cause the fish to swim into your nets. Your job is simply to cast the net you are not Lord of the fish. God is. And a lot of times I see people that look real good at fishing for men, and what I see is manipulation. Yeah. And that's real evil. We are not Lord of the fish. And as farmers, we scatter our seed. And Matthew 8, 39, but, the God, but God is Lord of the harvest. He makes the good soil good. <laughs> the farmer doesn't. 
And so our job as witnesses and teachers is to just be faithful in sharing the word and leaving the results to God. And if I could say one last final point, and this will be quick, please know, and this, is, this really <laughs> took the wind out of me a little bit, or put wind in my sails, I can't decide. We have to know that God's people are not the only ones fishing. The grand deception of the American church that we have believed is that the kingdom of darkness is neutral. That those outside of the kingdom of heaven are neutral towards the kingdom of heaven. And that is a lie. Satan is anything but neutral. The word of God is very clear on this. If you believe the Bible is the word of God, The Bible is very clear on this, that God's people are to be fishers of men. But the Bible is also very clear, 2 Timothy 2.22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith and love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, having nothing to do with foolish or ignorant controversies. I think politics in some regard can fall under that. You know they breed quarrels. You shouldn't start things that breed quarrels for non-kingdom purposes. And the Lord's service, a servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses, and you ready? And escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Whether Christ's church is fishing for men or women or not, be rest assured that Satan's boat is out on the lake. And if we are going to faithfully and follow in our king's footsteps, we must get out there and fish. We must. Because Satan's doing it. He's doing it on the internet. He's doing it on the phone. He's doing it on YouTube. He's doing it in the colleges. He's doing it in the universities. He's doing it in the hospitals now. It's everywhere. He's fishing for people in every area of life. We have to get out there. And what did Jesus tell us in Matthew 28? Go. Go. God's people are told to go. Jesus shows us to go. In the book of Acts, Paul shows us to to go. So go. Satan's after your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends, your girlfriends, boyfriends, spouses. They're already being fished for by the evil one. And Satan wants them and forever. And so we must go. And what did Jesus tell us? And storm the gates of hell. (laughs) That's awesome. God has called you and kept you for this purpose. To go fishing. To bring God's glory and exile people from out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of heaven. And why does God want us to go fishing? Let's just press pause on this. Why? Why? Because God loves us. This is not about building some mega church. This is not about man's glory. 
This is about seeing every tribe, nation, and people in heaven. This is about getting faithful brothers and sisters to spend eternity with us in heaven. Because the alternative, according to Jesus, over and over and over again, is eternal darkness and hell. And Satan's actively fishing people into it. And because God so loved the world, he wants us to stop this madness and to bring people into life. He wants us to bring light into the darkness. And listen, you know, again, we have to correct our thinking. We're not trying to sell people a used car with a bad transmission. <laughs> you need Jesus. No. no, it's God loves me. And he loves you too. And he wanted me in heaven. And he wants you in heaven. Let's talk about it. <laughs> We're trying to give people, give people the Lord of glory. We're to cast our nets, praying and hoping that people will be gifted everlasting life and a joy and eternal peace. And so go. Jesus has saved you. He has called you. And he has given you the good news so that you may give the good news of the kingdom of heaven to others. Amen? So to quote Matthew 28 one last time, and this is Jesus' last words before he ascended up into heaven. Uh, Matthew 28, 19. Go. Go, therefore. And this is in his authority in verse 18. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all all that I have commanded you, and behold, are you doing this alone? I am with you always to the end of the age. I want you to notice, loved ones, there's a time component there. As the church, don't we see, we, we can see evil is rising. But has Jesus left us? He's with us till the end. And we need to storm the gates of hell because our king is storming with us. <laughs> He's leading the charge. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you. We, we praise you. We thank you. We ask that you, you would equip us for this good work. I'm, I'm drawn to mind. Help us to live lives worthy of the upward calling. God, help us to live lives that... It, it's good that we know the words and we, and we know the gospel, God, but we also must live it. And so help us to, to not only share your word and fish with our words, but help us to, to live lives and fish with our lives. Help us to put aside all unholiness, all evil. Help us to put aside all worldliness, God, burn out of us what needs to be burned and refine in us what needs to be refined. God, we, before we know it, we will be breathing our last breath. And when we stand before you, you will be all that matters. God, help us to live lives that anticipate that. And God, we, we know that <laughs> we should probably all cast our net a little bit more. And so give us boldness to do that. 
but God, we also pray, since you are Lord of the fish, that you would gather them. Help us to, to bring so many souls to you. Of course, it's all you're doing, but help us to bring so many fish to you that the boats are breaking. <laughs> we pray. God, be with us in this. And anyone who needs special prayer, we ask that they would receive it by the people in the side door here. God, we, we do pray that you would be with us mightily and open up opportunities this week. Open up opportunities to advance your kingdom. We do pray. We love you, our King. And in Jesus' name, all who agreed said, amen. Let's stand and worship. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary, Baltimore. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. If you can't be here in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, as Pastor Josh says, study the Word to live the Word to share the Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon.